Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I am Brian Wilmarth. I'm the senior pastor here at New Life. Uh, If this is your first time, thank you. Thank you for being here today with us. We hope you sense a welcome and uh, enjoy your time together today. Um, I want to add one quick thing to what Cody was sharing in the video. Um, So with the school supply drive, we are still collecting supplies. Please continue to do that. We've received a lot, which has been great. One thing we need in particular is more backpacks. So if you still haven't gone yet and you're like, oh, what can I do? Particularly, we need more backpacks. So just know that that's that's a need as we're collecting stuff so far. The other thing is the actual event. So when all of these families come and join us, um, they are going to be coming together on the 5th of August from 9 to 1. And we need volunteers. So if you are available and able to help us that day to help guide families through and, and help organize the event, we would love to have you join us for that. So uh, August 5th, 9 to 1, we're looking for a couple shifts in there. So if you are able to volunteer, stop by the Connections desk or visit Stacy at the school supply area, or you can reach out to the office at contact at newlifeonline.org or give us a phone call, and we'd love to just help you get connected and onto that list. So if you're able to help and volunteer that day, we'd love to have you join us. So just wanted to add that on, let you know that's uh, what's happening with the school supply drive over these next couple of weeks. All right, well, as we turn our attention to God's word, would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, you are majestic, you are good. In you we are free And that only comes because of the gospel. And and Lord, we celebrate that this morning. We are grateful for you and grateful for the work that you have done in in our lives, in our world. God, we want to put our whole selves uh, onto you, center our lives on you. And so Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, would we receive from you, as you intend, as we talk about Sabbath. God, I pray that uh, this whole series, but particularly today, that we, we are just receiving from you what we need for today. And so teach us. Feed us with your word. Nourish us with all that you are, God. And would we be filled up and would we be transformed because we have come face to face with you. So meet us now, Lord. Be present with us in this space and teach us. Teach us from the scriptures. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are in this series. We're looking at the concept or the practice of Sabbath. And so if you've been with us, you know we've covered a variety of different um, aspects. And, and maybe some of it's been new for you. And so real quick, just to capture, we started that, that Sabbath is a practice of free people. God instituted this idea, this, this, um, this concept, this practice, when the people of Israel were rescued out of Egypt. And he said, this, this is for you as free people. You can take a Sabbath. And so it is. It is for free people. And, and it's for our good. That's what Jesus came to teach us. So when he showed up, he said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And, and, and Sabbath was made for you. It's for our good. It, it benefits us. And then last week, we saw that Sabbath is oriented to trust. It helps us grow in faith to trust the Lord, and that's part of the work that it does. Sabbath is is infused with trust. 
Well, I wonder if so far in this series, if you've started to see like, okay, Sabbath, like I always kind of thought it was like a day of rest and it is, but hopefully you're starting to see that there is more to it than just simply this idea of taking a day off. Like it is infused with more meaning. It's expanded. And I hope that today we're going to be able to capstone that. Because so far what we've been looking at is Sabbath and the good that it is for us. But I want us to see today that it's not just something for us. It's not doing something for us alone. But it's actually doing something to us as well. See, Sabbath is not just doing something for us. It's not active to our benefit alone. But it's actually doing something to us. And so today... That's what I want to look at. I want to look at this shift, this expansion of Sabbath in the work that it does to us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a text of scripture where God is doing that very thing where he's expanding Sabbath. So I invite you, if you would, turn into Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to look at this expansion of what Sabbath is all about. So the sermon today is going to have two parts. It's going to be what's this expansion and then what's the difference that that expansion makes. So those are the two parts that we're going to take. Now, the front end of it, I'm going to blitz through a lot of content. Chapter 25 is pretty long and there's a lot going on there. I want to highlight and summarize a lot of the key pieces. And so we're going to go pretty quick. We're going to cover a lot of scripture But hopefully you're going to see when we get through all of it that here's how it connects. So bear with me as we go through it. But we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 25 and look at this expansion of Sabbath. So to do that, we're going to summarize just a few places and look at a few verses. And we're going to start it in the second half of verse 2 of chapter 25. So let's, let's take a look. When you enter the land that I am going to give you, The land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you. So pause there. So where we are is, is we're, we're, we have this people, this group, this Israelite nation that has been rescued out of Egypt. They've come out and now God is saying like, all right, I'm going to take you to land. And when you live there, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you just to take a day off a week. We're going to go beyond that. We're not going to just take a day off every, every week. We're actually going to take a year off. See, what God is doing is he's taking the Sabbath idea, this day, and he's expanding it. He's saying, now I want to do more. I want to do something different. I want to add to what you already understand about Sabbath. We're going to give the land itself a rest. Now, remember, this is an agricultural nation. Their livelihood, how they live, the food that they eat, they grow. Like this is something like you do, you got to make sure you're tending your crops. You got to make sure you take care of your fields. Otherwise you may starve. And here God says, hey, here's what we're going to do. 
we're not going to work the land for a year. We're, we're going to let it rest. We're, gonna, we're just going to let it produce whatever it's going to produce, and you're not going to tend to it. You're going to take a year off from cultivation. Now, it's going to produce food. Like, it's going to grow things. Like, that's just naturally what happens. And so that's your food for that year. But you're not doing anything active to produce it. The land itself is to have a Sabbath. And so here, God is, is saying, like, something pretty challenging and radical for them. But he's trying to connect the dots. Like, you get a day off. You get time off. I want the same thing for my creation. And now Sabbath is expanded to include creation care. God wants to take care of the land itself. He wants to take care of the world that he's created. He doesn't want just people to benefit. He wants the land to rest. Sabbath. And here, here is now this expansion. Now, where does this come from? Like, why is God kind of building this in? Well, I want to highlight two things right out of the book of Genesis Right out of the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, God's creating the world. And and he's creating everything. He's creating the land, the sea, the sky, the animals, everything. And includes us. He creates us. And then finally, when he gets done, in verse 31, these are the words that we read. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. He loved what he made. He looked at it. He's like, this is good. I'm pleased with it. I love what I've created. Creation delights me. He looks at the world and he's like, yes, this is what I want to make. Now, it doesn't just stop there because he created human beings. And particularly, he created Adam and Eve and and he created a garden. It's called the Garden of Eden. And so in chapter 2, we kind of zoom in and we see how God is is working with these people that he's now creating. And so in chapter 2, once he creates Adam... Then, then he says, like, all right, I've got a purpose for you. And so what he says here in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Not only does he create his own, his own world here, he puts humanity in it. He's like, I want you to help me to take care of it. We're going to steward this land. We're going to make sure that it is flourishing and good. Now... Creation itself has a caretaker. And so that is what God is bringing into Sabbath. So in in this expansion, this first thing that he's doing is saying, not only are we going to take a day off, but we're going to take a year off. And we're going to let the land itself, the, the creation itself, rest. And this is how we can care for it. So that's the first element. The, the first thing that I want you to see in, in this text is, is God himself is expanding Sabbath to include creation care. So that's number one. Well, what's number two? Look back with me in chapter 25 of Leviticus. We're now going to see kind of the next thing that God wants to do. So beginning in verse 10. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vines. For it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. And then verse 13. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return 
to their own property. Okay, what's going on here? So the second thing that, that God's doing here is he's now expanded from this year of rest. Then he says something about this 50th year. Well, what's happening is you'll imagine like, okay, you get into this cycle where six years you work, just like six days, and then you take a year off, just like you take a day off. Well, we're going to do that a few times. We're going to kind of cycle through and seven times, it's 49 years, we're going to do that. But then we're going to interrupt it. We're going to tack on a 50th year and you're going to do an additional year of rest. But there's more that's going on here. So they're to let the land rest one more year on top of it. So another two years, like, whoa, that's a long stretch. But now people, they're to return to their property. Now, what this is all about is that when God leads them into the land and they they start to spread out, he's like, okay, I'm going to divvy it up. This tribe, you're going to live here. And this tribe, you're going to live at this spot. And this tribe, you're going to live here. And he gives everybody, as they come into the land, a place to live. It's a plot of land for them to own, to work, and to cultivate. But you can imagine after they live there for a while, let's say a drought shows up. You know, in the southern part of the country, and it's really severe. And and some families, they're just, they're having a hard time. They're not growing crops like they need to, and, and they fall into debt. What are they to do? Well, we, we got we to gotta leverage our assets, and their biggest asset is their land. So they sell off their land. And they, they give it away. Well, now they're losing access to growing years in the future. And so if that keeps happening, let's say one family just gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, until pretty much they've sold all of their land. Land at that time was livelihood. It's not like they're going off elsewhere and they're bringing in money. And it's like, no, this, this is how they make a living. This is how they make a life. It's based on the land. If hard times fall in a family and they're forced to sell and sell too much, they're set up in such a way as they could never recover. God is not content to let that be the story. He's not content to let somebody, you know, some set of circumstances dictate like forever how it's going to be for their descendants. So what does he do? The 50th year is a restoration back to the original. So we see here in verse 13, in the Jubilee, everyone is to go back to their original property, even if you sold it. So everything gets reset, it gets rebalanced, it gets put back to the way that it was supposed to be. What happens here is that God says, no, 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 we're not going to get out of whack. We're going to get things restored and rebalanced. And here's why God, or here's how he's kind of structuring this. Because you're like, wait a minute, how is this fair? Like, if you sell the land, like, is it the person that bought it? Like, what happens to them? Well, in verse 16, we get this comment from from God, like, here's what's really happening. You are not selling the land. What is really being sold is the years of the crops. You are not purchasing the land. You're purchasing the crops that it produces. So instead of someone selling off the land, they're selling off the crops that are going to grow. And in the Jubilee, the land goes back to the original owner. And that's what God says. Like, this land, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. I'm giving it to you. You don't get to take it from somebody else. 
And so we get this like picture of when people get stuck in hard times, now God is providing a way out. So in verse 28, we get these, this kind of final comment or expression of what's taking place here. So if someone gets stuck and they do not acquire the means to repay, what is sold is to remain in possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It will be returned in the Jubilee and everyone can go back to their property. So in this 50th year, everything gets restored. And what we see is that God, he's restoring life and livelihood. He's restoring life and livelihood. People don't get dictated to by their circumstances. Rather, God provides them a way to have a way forward for their children to provide for their families. The circumstances do not dictate the end of the story. This is God's provision for people. He wants to come in and say, like, I'm going to make sure that things don't get too imbalanced. Because imagine if years of this started happening and, and suddenly, you know, you got a couple of families who are able to purchase a lot and, and droughts keep coming and going and, and suddenly they're just able to accumulate most of the land. This imbalance, that's not what God wants. This is not flourishing for people. It's flourishing for a few, but God wants everyone to flourish. And so he provides a means to do that. I love how um, Hannah, who is the, the mother of Samuel the prophet who anointed David, and uh, when, when she was um, younger, she, she was barren. She was not able to have children, and so she plead, pleaded with God, like, would you give me a son, give me a child, please do that. And when he did, when Samuel was born, she prays this amazing prayer. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we, we see how she prays. And what I love about it is she describes some of this dynamic. So in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we read these words. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And he seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. God does not let those who fall on hard times, who become poor, who don't have access to means to provide for their families, he does not let them stay there. He provides them a way out. He lifts them up and puts them on the seat with princes. This is the good news of what God does. He provides life and livelihood. So that's the second thing. Sabbath becomes infused with this as well. There's one more thing that I want to look at. And here's the third thing. So we're going to look back at, at Leviticus chapter 25 and look specifically at verse 39. We'll see the third element take shape. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released, and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. Because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. What God is, is saying here is the same thing that's true of property, 
We don't want imbalance there. We don't want imbalance between peoples. Because imagine, you know, somebody has to sell all their land and, and maybe they don't quite pay off all their debts. Well, now what do they do? Essentially, the practice was they'd sell themselves into slavery to pay the debt. And you can imagine, like, that reality. Like, what do they do then? Like, once they sell themselves into slavery, like, how do they get out? Exactly. Sometimes some people wouldn't be able to get out. Sometimes family members would step in and, and help, but, like, this, this could be a lifelong sentence. You're stuck in this reality. There's no way forward. God doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want this to be condemning for people. He wants them to have a way out. And so in the 50th year, they are set free. Everything is reset. Wherever people might be enslaved, wherever they might be serving off a debt, it is now forgiven. And they are released. They are set free. And things go back to the original design. So Sabbath now also becomes infused with liberation, with setting people free, and it's restoring their value. I mean, did you catch the language? God was talking about, like, don't treat them as you would a slave. Treat them as a hired worker. Don't rule over them ruthlessly. They have value. They are important. That needs to be reflected in how you interact with them. So where does this come from? So God, back in, in original creation, when he's making the world, in, in chapter 1, he, he makes animals, and, and he makes the land, he makes the sea, and, and he makes human beings, but he says something special about them. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we get these words, God created humanity in his own image. In his own image. He, he's creating them in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God is bestowing upon humanity a special status. We bear his image. We are marked by him. We're to represent him. We're to be like him. And therefore, we have value. We have worth. We are important. And so if this is the way that God has created us, we're to treat each other this way. But not only that, it's not only in creation, but back into Exodus. So when, again, when, when he pulls them out, out of Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai. We get in Exodus chapter 19, this declaration of identity. Like, this is who you are. And so God wants them to see their identity. And so what does he call them? So in Exodus 19, beginning at verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They are set apart. Treasured possession. Like this is what God declares over them. This, this is the value that people have this also becomes infused into Sabbath. So God doesn't want people to be treated poorly. He doesn't want them to be oppressed. He doesn't want them to be exploited. And that can happen. If you get into debt, you can't pay back, and now you're condemning yourself and your children and their children to slavehood, 
servanthood. God wants a way out. And that is what the year of Jubilee does. It's a reset. It's a leveling. It's a restoring back to the way things are supposed to be. This is what Sabbath now becomes infused with. So those are the three concepts I wanted you to look at through this chapter. Creation care, seeing how return and restoration of life and livelihood happens with property, and then also liberation for people, showing them value. These are three things that God infuses into Sabbath. Why am I telling you all this? What difference does this really make? Like, how, how, how does this impact, like, our practice of Sabbath? Because, you know, we're not slaves. This isn't a usual thing for us. Like, how does Sabbath help us when we see all of this expansion? Well, I want you to go back to chapter 25. Look at verse 17. So what God says here is he's describing, and he uses this phrase a couple of times, but here it's captured very succinctly. Do not take advantage of one another, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. When you hear that phrase, I'm curious, what do, you, what do you think of or what do you feel? We often define that word fear as like afraid, right? Like terror. It's like, oh, I should be afraid of something. That can mean that and it does mean that. But it's actually more than that. The word fear here means honor. Gives significance or weight to. When you hear fear, it means like I am, I am acknowledging the greatness of something. God is saying, fear me, honor me, hold me in esteem, give me significance, give me weight in your life. He says that in the context of Sabbath, of this jubilee. Why does he say that? It's because of what Sabbath does to us. Sabbath shapes us into the character of God. Sabbath is doing that to us. It's shaping us into the character of God. You notice if we walk through that whole chapter, you saw God's heart over and over again. This is who he is. He cares about his world. He cares about creation. He loves it. He delights in it. He wants us to care about it too. He wants to make sure that people thrive and flourish. And he doesn't want imbalance to get too far out of whack. So what does he do? He wants us to operate fairly. Have everyone have the chance, the opportunity for access to livelihood, to means of production. He wants that to be true for people. That's his heart. And he wants people to be valued. He doesn't want human beings exploiting one another. God's heart is woven all the way through this beautiful picture of Jubilee. And he wants us to reflect that heart as well. Now, I'm curious, if you hear that, you're kind of like, okay, interesting, Sabbath, okay. Am I like that? Like, if we were to be honest and we were to kind of say, okay, I see this picture of God, these three ideas, and expand it, see the, the full character of God, and you're putting your life up there, how big of a gap do you start feeling? It's like, okay, I'm kind of like God in some ways, but another way is like, please don't talk about that. Like, we start to see the gap growing, don't we? We realize more and more we're not actually all that like God, are we? His character, I mean, he's up here. He's, he's beautiful. He's good. He's righteous. He's holy. He's perfect. And we are not. What strikes me about 
this chapter in Leviticus, this concept of jubilee. As we, as, as scholars and, and those who have done the history, um, we've looked and we don't see any evidence that they ever practiced jubilee. Every 50 years, they're supposed to do this, and we don't see any evidence that they actually followed through. The human heart, we're not like God, are we? We are not like him. We, we are distant, like we, we are separate, and, and we like to go on, we like to do our own thing, and, and we don't do the things that God asks us to do. We aren't good like him. We fall short, significantly short. And we call this sin. It's rebellion. It's going our own way. It's making our own decisions. It's doing things our way. And, and what you see in this contrast is we're just, we're not, we're not like God. Our hearts are broken. And what do we do with that? The year of Jubilee was not just limited to the Old Testament. See, the, the prophet Isaiah he, he reflected on this and, and captured it in Isaiah 61. But there's a moment that you might be familiar with where you've heard some familiar words. See, Jesus shows up. He starts his ministry, announces the kingdom, gets baptized, and, and then he starts to teach. And one of the things that he does is he'll go teach in the synagogues. And we actually have one of those moments where he taught. So in Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus teaching in the synagogue, and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads maybe some familiar words from Isaiah 61. So Luke 4, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does that sound like? Isaiah is reflecting on the year of Jubilee and longing for a true fulfillment of the year of Jubilee where everybody would be restored and released and set free, where things would be set right. Flourishing would happen. Isaiah is longing for that. Jesus reads that text. What is he going to say next? So verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying this to them. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I have come to fulfill the jubilee. This is what he came to announce. See, that's why Jesus came. He came to bring about Jubilee. He came to bring about Sabbath rest in all of its fullness. Jesus came to bring about the reality to which all of these things have been pointing. Salvation. Freedom. Rest. Life. This is what Jesus came to bring. And he did that by switching places with us. See, he would go to a cross and he would become oppressed. He would become trapped. He would become ensnared by death and by sin. He would become the one who would sacrifice 
so that we could be released, so that we could be set free, so that we now could step into the goodness which Sabbath points. This is what Jesus came to fulfill. And he came to make us like him. When we're set free, when we're, when we're released from our sin, from our bondage, when we're able to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, we look like him. We're shaped more and more into his character. This is what Jesus came to do. And now, Sabbath is not just a day off. It's not just a break. Not just a time where it's like, okay, I can, I can let go and, and step back. Sabbath is now shaping us more and more into the character of God because of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to change us and transform us. And Sabbath is a part of that. This is the good news that he offers. We can live in jubilee with him. So, I want to throw a question out to you. How would you assess your character right now? Because if we're, we're hearing this good news, we're hearing like, oh, Jubilee can be ours. We can live in this kind of life. How are we doing? You know, where are those gaps? Sabbath is a time for us to become aware of that. To take a minute to reflect, to see, oh, okay, I've got some growth here to do. And that's where Jesus steps in. And he helps us grow. He helps us become more and more like him. And Sabbath is a part of that process. So when we practice the Sabbath day, we're not just taking a break. We're allowing the Sabbath to do a work in us. To change us, to cultivate a new reality. That's what Jesus promises. That's what the Jubilee represents. That's what Sabbath can mean for us. So I just want to ask you this question, like, how would you assess your character right now? Are you taking time to kind of reflect, like, oh, man, these are where my gaps are? That's where Jesus wants to meet you. He wants to help walk you through that. He wants to help you grow into his likeness more and more, and Sabbath is a part of that process. So will you let him step in? Will you let him kind of speak into your life and, and continue to grow you more and more into his image? Sabbath is a day to do that. It's a time to set apart and just let the Lord do his work. So maybe, maybe you've got a practice where you read the scriptures regularly on a daily basis. That's great. Or maybe that's a little more inconsistent. Sabbath, Sabbath is a day to give that some special emphasis. Like, allow the Lord to speak to you, to work in your life, to say, hey, let's, let's tend to this area of your life right now. Let's work on this together. And just know that Sabbath is not a day to work. It's not a day to strive. It's a day to rest and receive. So this is not something where it's like, okay, here's my growth edge. I'm going to go fix it and then come back. Like, no, no, no. Sabbath, it's a day where we spend with the Lord, allowing him to do a good work in us. So, where are those edges for you? Where might God want to move and work in your life? Allow him to do that on the Sabbath day. Because this is the good work that Sabbath can do to us. So, if you've been with us, we've walked through a number of different facets. Maybe some of it's um, stuff you've heard, but a lot of it might be brand new. 
So I just want to kind of tie this all together. Like, what does a good Sabbath practice look like? So here are a few tips I just want to remind you of as we've walked through this series. So wherever you are, number one, start slow. If you are not taking a day off at all, okay, great, start there. Maybe start with a couple of hours. Maybe that's your, your Saturday morning. Or maybe it's your Friday night where you're just, you know what, like, here's a few hours. Start with two. And I'm just, I'm disconnecting. I'm not doing any work. Put my phone aside. And I'm just, I'm going to rest. I'm going to Sabbath. I'm going to step into a shift in my schedule. Now, maybe if you're already doing that to some degree or you've got a few hours where that happens, can you just up the ante a little bit? Work towards that, that full day, and, and I did use that word work intentionally, like work towards that, that full day where you have a good set apart 24 hours with the Lord. But start where you are. Work your way up. Incremental movement. Wherever you are, start there and start practicing a bit of ceasing of Sabbath. And what you want that to look like is number two, it's rest. It's rest. So if you've got a job and, and you feel like, man, that's a job, like it's a work, like, okay, great. Make sure you're not doing your job. Don't work in this window of time. If you've got projects or emails or, or phone calls, like, you know what, just this time, I'm, I'm just going to ignore those things. And that takes planning and preparation. Maybe you've got to communicate with your, your coworkers, your team, or you really got to work hard those few days before. Like, just make sure that you can really disconnect, really rest. Maybe for you, that's this household chores. Like, you just, this has totally worked to me. So great. Don't do that in your rest time. Or maybe that's like gardening or tending to other things. Like, that's just, that's work. But maybe for you, gardening is not work. It feels like rest. Great. That could maybe be a part of your Sabbath. Because the second part of that is, is to be refreshed. When you get through your Sabbath time, the idea, the goal is that you feel more rested. You feel refreshed. You feel built up, filled up. So choose those activities that fill you up. And it might be having fun. It might be going for a hike. It might be going golfing. It might be tending to your garden. It might be doing something that's active. Great. If you walk out feeling refreshed, that might be a helpful thing to do. Now, be aware of others. If you've got a family or some friends that you might do this with, like make sure you're choosing activities that are communal or corporate for the gathering, for the group whoever that might be. But you should walk out feeling refreshed. Build your Sabbath in such a way that you feel that way. So stop, start wherever you are and stop work start, and start doing this kind of regular pattern of rest and refreshing. But make sure, number three, you build in time with Jesus. This isn't something just like, okay, I get to do all the fun stuff that I didn't get to in the rest of the week. Like, yes, do those fun things. But remember, this is oriented to Jesus. The Sabbath in and of itself will not do anything for you. Taking a break is nice, but it's not going to give you life. Jesus gives you life. He's the one that's going to fill you up. He's the one that's going to step in and give you flourishing because he is the source of life. So spend time with him intentionally and allow him to be growing you. Sabbath is a time where we step back and say, all right, where are some of my growth edges? Lord, help me. Point out some things that I need to see. Read his word. See how you can take a step towards him in greater faith. 
allow him to grow you and do that intentionally. So that's number three. And then finally, number four, it's all oriented to trust, to faith. So we want to be cultivating a trust in him alone. So it's easy to do some of these other things that are fun and life-giving, you know, like, but if we start to look to them as like, oh, this is my, the good life, like, this is what I want, this is what I want to do, and I long for this, maybe we're starting to trust in that. Our trust should be only in him. He's the one that we should be longing for. So cultivate that. Build that into your pattern where you're spending time with him and you're leaning into him more and more, allowing your faith, your trust, where you get your life from to be him and him alone. So cultivate that trust. Be intentional about growing in faith. Allow him to say like, all right, trust me, rely on me, and let that be part of your Sabbath practice. So these are the four things that we've been studying through this series. And this is what it looks like to practice Sabbath, to to move us beyond just simply taking a day off, getting a break but to actually be invested and to to step into rich, meaningful life. This is what Sabbath can do to us. So will you let it? Will you let him speak life into you through the Sabbath practice? Again, bottom line for today, what I hope you hear and walk away with is that Sabbath, it shapes us more and more into his character. That's what we want. That's what he offers. And this, this, Sabbath practice can be so helpful for us. We live in a world where we are busy. We have all kinds of things pulling our attention, taking our focus, wanting priority. Sabbath obliterates all of that. It reorients, it reshapes, and allows us to recenter on him. And when we do that, he's making us more and more like him. So Sabbath, it shapes us into the character of God. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you for the gift that Sabbath is. Thank you for allowing us to practice it. God, even more so, thank you for doing a work in and through it. God, we are nothing without you. We can't do anything apart from you. But Lord, you give us yourself the good gift of your life. You, you saved us. You, by the gospel, you offer us salvation. And Sabbath can be a practice in which we live in that. Help us to do that, God. Help us to not find our trust, our reliance on any other thing except you alone. So Lord, help us to practice Sabbath in a meaningful, rich kind of way. Would we turn to you? Would we release to you? Would we rest in you? God, I pray that Sabbath can be a major part of our life as an expression of our faith and trust and our walk with you. So Lord, wherever we are, meet us. Move us forward. Help us to take that next step towards a greater Sabbath practice. Because this is what you do. You make us more and more like you. You use everyday life to do that. Use that in Sabbath too. So thank you for that gift, Lord. Thank you for moving and working the ways that you do. We trust you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.